Hello everyone and welcome to episode 118 of Link to the Cast, your weekly dose of video games and nerd culture ephemera. On the show this week, Dave is lost in space, Mark is shooting aces, layoffs at Onrush, and in our book club we go meta in a way that'll give you a nosebleed. It's the Stanley Parable. Let's start the program. episode 118 for your friends at linktothecast.eu available on all your favorite podcasting platforms apple Podcasts, soundcloud podcast out of your stitcher i'm your party host dave ryan joined as i am on the line each and every week by the platforming prodigy that is mark robinson mark how are you i am good i've looked at our uh, notes for the week and there's a lot of news so i'm gonna keep my my happenings pretty short keep the state of the robinson address for this week quite brief yeah i saw incredibles 2 i very much mm-hmm. enjoyed it i've actually never seen the original incredibles which i you need should, to you should check and... a look at that yes. yeah yeah um but i very much enjoyed it it's very weird whenever you see or hear anything with samuel jackson and there isn't a motherfucker in every other word he says um that's quite jarring um jack jack is the star of the show um, yeah. by a, a considerable margin um, the bit where he's walking down the corridor with Dame Edna to the other side and he's like uh, kind of got his lollipop like it's a cigar um, hmm. I was fucking howling at that yeah. and I like and you and Jack were talking about this on your new episode of the, the Popcorn Social plug 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 but the, the more kind of domestic side of things you know uh, with, with Mr. Incredible trying to kind of deal with just being a dad and, and having to yeah. step away from the, the spotlight of being a superhero and how he kind of struggles with that was uh, was actually kind of really well crafted and, and I liked that yeah. more humane side of it yeah I actually think that was the best part of the movie for me I think, like, when it went into the kind of, like, as much as I was enjoying some of the Elastigirl narrative, um, I think when it got into the end and it was just your standard superhero family battle uh, to, to finish off the movie, it was not as fun as just, the, the, the as you said, the first two acts where it's just him trying to deal with, like, trying to be superhuman in a way a lot of people struggle trying to be superhuman, and that's being a parent to three children. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah. Um, so I think I, I think I actually kind of handled a lot of that uh, very well, and obviously you mm. know it's it's Pixar, so the the level of animation is uh, is always incredible. And I really mm-hmm. liked the 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 short film uh, Bow at the start. Um, like I always like the the short stories that Pixar do, but that one in particular was uh, was quite sentimental, but also kind of yeah. weird at the same time. Um, yeah i had it hyped up to me we didn't talk about that on the popcorn social but i had it hyped up to me as like oh this this pixar short is gonna break your heart so like i was going into it fixing to hold back tears and maybe it was because of the expectation that i didn't really like i i could see that it's it's an emotional heartwarming story but not in a way where i was like blubbering or anything like that like it was i don't know when i think of like 
stuff that Pixar do that completely tears my heart out, I just think of the first 10 minutes of Up. Up, obviously. Which, as long as I live on this God's Earth, I will never watch the start of that movie again. <laughs> I don't know. I, I do think that when uh, the, spoiler alert, the, the kid comes back um, and is there, like, just kind of sitting at the side of, of the bed with his mum. Yeah. Um, that bit got to me. Uh, yeah, you know. Oh yeah, no, no. Well, I'm not saying it was completely like void of emotion, no, but it was like heartless bastard. It's fine. Yeah, I had it being hyped up as like as traumatic as when I saw Mufasa die as a child, <laughs> <laughs> and kind of like you know when you brace for impact and the impact just doesn't come. I was like, sure. oh, uh, okay. You, you, you yeah. braced a little bit too hard. Yeah, yeah, that was it. I think that that it was being told that that underwhelmed me, whereas I actually did enjoy it for what it was. Sure. The the little short. Um. Anything else this week? Other than that, I just um, so obviously um, this is my last show for a couple of weeks as I go to Canada for mm-hmm. just over two weeks next Tuesday. Um, I'm going to go and find Bret Hart's now, house. Um, do, do, do you plan on um, trying to find Canadian national hero and um, the the writer of the the music of our hearts in many ways? That is Brian Adams. I, <laughs> uh, he's probably on tour somewhere in Florida. Well, most likely. What? What I found out relatively recently is, is like he's Canadian. He's, well, no, I no, I knew that because of um, is, it, is there a joke about him in the South Park movie? Like, because I know there's a lot of Canada jokes in that. So I, I have I, not seen that movie in a long, long time. It's pretty good. Yeah. Like, I, I'm not a big fan of that show anymore, but I still like that movie a lot. Um, but anyway, um, he basically like he's more into photography now than he is into music. But sure. I suppose you know, like he's made it, he's made his money. Uh, yeah, I sure. I, you know, um, at some point we're expecting Bruce Springsteen to also get into like fucking art or photography or podcasts. Yeah. Actually, yeah. That, that I could see that. Um, but yeah, I I'm pretty much kind of all set to go for that, um, and I'm expecting to be really fucking tired for two weeks. Mm. So that'll be fun. But <clears throat> you know, there'll be plenty of pictures, and I'm sure I'll have many stories to tell about getting lost in uh, the Rocky Mountains. Uh, so yeah, look forward to that when I come back. And uh, if I die, I'm sure Jack can take my place. <laughs> uh, I, I I've spent the week well trying not to spend any money in the first place because I've just booked uh, a trip to London in September. Speaking of Jack, going to to visit Jack, we have quite the the nerdy weekend in prospect. Uh, what is it we're going to do? We're hoping to go. So we the reason I'm going over is because we were both uh, backers, Kickstarter backers for the Progress documentary. And because of the tier we backed to that, we got uh, tickets to the premiere at the at a film festival in London in September. Um, so we had those tickets, and then there's like a bunch of stuff on in London that weekend. So we've just started. You know how like kind of like when we booked the WrestleMania trip, Mark. You know, like you book one extra thing, and then like that the snowball starts to gather pace. No, no, um, no, no, no. That's not how that that works. That was Mark. I, do you want to come to WrestleMania? Yeah. All right, fine. Oh, by the way, Mark, we're doing ten other things. Yeah, I believe it was Mark. Do you want to go to WrestleMania? No. Mark, we bought you your WrestleMania tickets. (laughs) That was it, yes. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, But, yeah, so what happened was we started seeing a bunch of different things that were on that weekend, and now we're going to that. We're going to uh, a Chelsea game. We are going to um, the London Podcast Festival is on that weekend, as coincidence would have it. Uh, so we're going to go see the Attitude Era podcast live, friend of the show, Kevin Mann. Um, and we're going to go see James Bonding, the uh, the, the podcast about James Bond nice, nice. live. Uh, and then as well, we're going to fit in. Oh, yeah. We were like, 
<coughs> we love, as we talked about a lot on the Popcorn Social this week, we really love stupid movies. Really stupid, dumb, big explosion-y movies. And uh, what comes out the day I fly over to London, only Shane Black's Predator movie. Uh, so we're, we're going to go see that more than likely. Oh, I hope you have a wonderful time. Yeah, yeah, should be good. Uh, but yeah, in, in the interim, while, while you are gone off to O Canada, we shall have uh, co-hosts uh, on the program. Yeah, as yet to be announced, because I haven't actually asked them yet. But uh, we, we, shall, we shall see how that all rolls out over the next couple of weeks. We shouldn't be taking an extended hiatus anyway in your absence. Um, shall we talk about some video games, my friend? We can do that. Playing this week. Hey, check it out. I learned the baseline from Final Fantasy 2. Scott, you are the salt of the earth. Well, thanks. I meant scum of the earth. Thanks. Mark. Has uh, Mario Tennis dug its claws into you even deeper? You, you had know, only just started playing this last week. You know what? It really hasn't. Oh. Yeah. Swerve. Swerve. Um, I'm, I don't know. The more I've been playing it, the more that I feel uh, just there's something about the the physics and just the way it feels. And I don't know why I didn't spot this um during the the weekend demo that was available i might have just been really excited to play another married tennis game but it feels a little bit stiffer than what i remember with um mario tennis on the nintendo 64 which is you know it's the the mario tennis game that i go back to um and there's just something that feels a little bit uh, stiffer a little bit more rigid and i don't feel kind of like i real really have like just full control over where I want the ball to go at all times. It feels kind of very like there are just three paths. There's just left, the middle, and the right. And there's kind of really nowhere in between um, to to maneuver the ball exactly where I want it to go. Um, and the, the single-player mode is, you know, it is what it is. Um, I wasn't expecting anything deeper complex. I, I really wouldn't have cared if there was a, an adventure mode or not. Um, yeah, I think what I, I think in the end, because uh, the challenge does ramp up at a certain point, which is one of my criticisms of the adventure mode. But um, one thing I would I would have liked to have gotten weirder, you know. <laughs> well, I, so I've only done about um, an hour or so of the adventure mode. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm actually stuck a bit at the moment with the fucking um, the reflection room and trying to deal with the two cogs that turn into three cogs. Oh yes, yes, uh, that's a that's a fun one. That's just a fucking nightmare. And again, it plays into the part that I feel that I can't, I, I don't have as much control over how to uh, hit the ball where I want as as much as I want. And maybe that's just mm -hmm. me, and I need to get good. Who knows? Um, so you know, I've been kind of coming in and out of it, and the 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 tournament mode is you know as as I expected it to be and I it's pretty much the same as as what was on the demo other than I can now do the mode where I don't use the the uh, like special abilities and stuff but I don't know mm -hmm. I feel like there was a lot put into the uh, additional abilities and star shots and whatnot that something feels like it's been taken away in when you just play it without all of that like so much mm -hmm. more was kind of put into that side of of the equation so yeah it hasn't it hasn't grabbed me and i've honest, honestly been looking at my copy thinking you know what i could just go trade this in and go get 
Captain Toadstool or uh, Octopath or something. So, mm. I don't know. I was... I guess like we were talking about where you kind of big yourself up, you hype yourself up saying, not that um, everything I'd heard about this game was that it was hyped up to be like, yeah, this is going to be the game of the year. But yeah. I guess coming off the back of what I know and, and enjoy about Mario Tennis 64, that something just doesn't feel right. So, yeah. Because um, we hadn't really spoken about it during the week because I'm just trying to be kind of collecting my thoughts, thoughts together. Um and you know, I, I'm going to try and stick around. I just I need to get past this fucking reflection room because it's yeah, it's really challenging. There but, there are some real like that's the kind of start of I when I first talked about the game, I was right before that part, and you you kind of breeze through pretty much everything up until that point, and that was the start of like oh, there are some absolute fuckers in this one, and there have been even worse ones. I haven't beaten the adventure mode yet, but Jack has, and he has described to me even worse ones in the. Like as in even tougher ones in the in, in the near future, if I keep persisting with it. But I, I must say, uh, some of what you're saying kind of rings true at my experience. Now, I actually have be- enjoyed the the star shot, special shot stuff. Like as I've gotten better at it, I've I've enjoyed being able to pull off these shots and these specials and things like that. Um, but I I definitely will echo your sentiment of I like it a bunch but I don't love it like I hoped I would yeah uh, I, I didn't get crazy into it like say uh, if they dropped uh, a boss as fuck Mario Golf game I would probably <laughs> I, would, I would probably get way into that like I got way into that 3DS Mario Golf game after you and Jack recommended it to me um, yeah and I don't have the the need to like constantly be playing it uh, like a Mario Kart or a Smash to get better and better. Um, so it seems like something to me I'll dip in and out of or when I'm minding my cousins here in the house that will we'll crack that one out. Uh, it'll be on the rotation with arms and the like. Um, yeah, like it's... Like you were kind of saying, there's nothing overwhelmingly awful about it where I go, okay, that's, that's why I'm bouncing off this game so hard. Like it's... It's fundamentally pretty damn good. It's just there's there's something missing. I think. Yeah, I I think that's there, there is there's something tangible that isn't quite there. Um, yeah. And I mean the thing is, um, and we've seen uh, Nintendo at this point with other uh, games of this generation that they're and and we were talking about last week that you know they 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 will put in updates, they will tweak certain things, but I don't know whether it's like a, a, a kind of core mechanic that just so it just isn't completely selling me on it which mm. is which is a bit of a shame so i don't know um i'm gonna try and stick around with it there's also an issue i seem to have and i don't know whether it's my uh my left analog stick or it's the game itself i haven't noticed it on any other game but if i push like left and up um my character will continue to run in that direction until i press another uh direction to stop um huh. so that- but I, I haven't noticed that happening yeah. to me. So I, I think it's mm. my stick, but it doesn't happen on any other game. So I don't know what, what the deal with that is. So, That's very strange. Yeah. Mm. Now, I want you to mm-hmm. convince me to buy something that I've already convinced myself that I'm going to buy it. And that is the plush. Uh, plush? Uh, maybe there are plushies. I presume there are plushies. It, it, it is a bit plush. Um, for Sonic uh, Mania Plus. 
Okay, so, well, like, I think that the headline thing here, the bit that's going to be the most uh, persuasive part is, like, I think it's only a fiver. Um, if you already have if you it. Already do you have, have it? Yeah. yeah, you have it on Switch, don't you? Yes, I do. Yeah, so it was only a fiver on Switch, and actually, as it happens, the gold points I had collected from buying games on it uh, paid it off for free. Nice. So, um, yeah. Um, basically, Sonic Plus, Sonic Mania Plus is exactly what it says at the tin. It's more Sonic Mania, um, and like, what more could you want? Um, the the main thing it adds are so there's. Hold on here, now just like get my notes up. So, so there's two extra out, characters. Just just before we um yep. started this show, I watched the Digital Foundry video about like everything, mm. all the updates, all the new features, and I'm like, yep, yep, me want me want this now. Yeah. So um, the 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 what it adds basically on the face, but it, you've got two extra characters in your campaign here. Uh, you have got Mighty the Armadillo and Ray the Flying Squirrel. Uh, Mighty is a character I remember from the often talked about on this show, UK Sonic the Comics and their bizarre lore. Mighty just showed up as this kind of like pimp as fuck armadillo from time to time. Uh, I do not remember Ray the Flying Squirrel, but uh, the internet has since decided he's a very good boy. Yeah, Um, like I wouldn't say I'm a full on like uh, wealth of knowledge when it comes to, to Sonic lore and Sonic franchise. Um, yeah. But, you know, I know of the, the 32X game, and I've seen Mighty the Armadillo before, but even I was looking at that squirrel. First of all, I was like, wait, that's a squirrel? I wouldn't have had a fucking clue. Uh, yeah. But no, I've not heard of Ray the squirrel before. So um, they kind of handle, like, existing characters, but a tiny bit different. So Armadillo, uh, Mighty the Armadillo, he kind of handles mostly like Sonic um he's not because you would look at him and think oh this is basically knuckles and a different skin but he handles more like sonic except for the fact that if you uh if you double tap the jump button you do this jackhammer stomp move that has like a shockwave effect that that kills enemies it's basically like he has the bubble shield yeah 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 it's pretty it's pretty handy um for getting out of a sticky situation and ray the flying squirrel his uh kind of special skill is that he's able to do this kind of like swooping dive so if you kind of jump up and you need to get to a distant platform that's a little bit below you you can do this very steep dive with ray that gets you onto them so it adds a little more of a kind of um a different way to tackle all these levels which is kind of you you remember from playing the the original sonic mania that like the 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 levels are so intricately layered that it, you do get rewarded for going through it with the different combinations of characters because you will see different parts of the level. There are parts of the level that Tails can get to that Sonic can't and that Knuckles can get to that neither of them can. You know, that that kind of situation. Yeah, they. Uh, I mean, they had that from, um, like, Sonic 3 onwards, basically. Mm, yeah. uh, certainly with, like, the addition of Knuckles and his ability to kind of climb walls. And they really tapped into that with uh the the original incarnation of sonic mania mm. um you've also got so there's um extended four player support for time trials and ghosts in the game um the main kind of um cool thing for gameplay in sonic mania plus is this idea of an encore mode which is basically it takes all the levels from Sonic Mania and remixes them. So it's similar settings, but it's different levels, sort of. Um, so it's ba- you're basically getting a new game plus, a whole different... It kind of reminds me of, you know, um, 
God, what was the first Castlevania game that did that? Like when you beat the the game, there's like the reverse of going through the castle. The Symphony of the Night. Yeah. So a old uh, book club feature here on Lisa indeed Links the Ghost. Um. So that's yeah. It's it's that kind of thing where oh, if you've beaten Sonic Mania, here's a look at the same levels, but we've changed shit around um a little bit. There's different bosses, um. Yeah, it's just like again, it is just more Sonic Mania, and that is not a bad thing. And then because you got two characters, that's two extra playthroughs for each mode, both standard and encore, uh, that add a little bit of an extra challenge and a little bit of an extra dimension. Uh, I'm a I'm a big fan of this game. So from everything that I saw in Digital Foundry as well, so they have tweaked all of the levels either with um, moving like spikes or just kind of moving parts of the layout about. They've also yeah. changed the the kind of color palette. Um, so like the first level of Green Hills is now it kind of takes place in dusk. Um, so they've had all these kind of little tweaks to to give just a, a kind of new vibe to it. Um, yeah. How uh, are there new levels? Because I know they're obviously the new characters, but are there uh, any I, new levels? I, I I haven't heard that because I'm only I think I got three full levels through before the other game we're talking about here came back on my radar right um so i I can't speak to that i can say that i haven't seen people talk about any hidden zones um although like i don't know if i'm really tapped into sonic twitter um to know that for sure um but i would imagine if there was extra levels as well it would have been like they really would have signposted that when they were advertising it, and I don't remember seeing anything about it, to be honest. Okay. Um, but you're, the, you're happy with it. You're enjoying I, it. I, I'm quite happy with it. I was quite happy with Sonic Mania, and this is another excuse to, to replay it. And in the I, I had pulled up a Detoid article about it here, uh, and as the person in that review points out, it's the kind of thing where there's so much in it now, you'll quite happily come back to Sonic Mania every year or so and play through standard Sonic Mania and now the Encore mode. It's 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 much more of a meaty game for only an extra fiver. And so I saw that they, they awesome. moved the um, the Blue Sphere World minigame for a pinball minigame, which I'm all for. Yeah, yeah. the pinball minigame is pretty cool as well. I, I did get to play that a couple of times. Um, that is very enjoyable. Because um, I, I, I don't think I get enough excuses to play little pinball games anymore. <laughs> so there, there you go. Uh, the other game I've been playing, and I've put in, I think according to my... Uh, unfortunately, it's one of the PS4 games that keeps an hour count uh, and displays it to you all the time. Uh, I think I put about 10 or 12 hours in this week alone into No Man's Sky. Uh, both in the getting ready for and then experiencing this No Man's Sky next 1.5 content update this week um and it's tough to know where to start with this um so we knew that we talked about it last week that they were changing some terrain stuff they were uh, adding in multiplayer and a an option for a third person point of view but they really fucking undersold just how much they did to this game mark i don't know if you saw the list the the patch notes but the patch notes are like it's it's as long as a fucking phone book. Like we would have to add on an extra hour to this podcast if I was going to sit here and read everything out to you. I mean, isn't that been the case for each time that they've dropped a whole bunch of um, content? When they do the substantial content updates, there's usually a, they change a fair bit of stuff, but nothing like this. Like Mark, legitimately, I logged on to this game yesterday when the update finally dropped at about three or four o'clock UK time. And they have rebooted this entire game. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
the entire universe has been essentially rebooted. Like all your discoveries and stuff like that still intact um, to kind of prevent your your base. If you had uh, one of the, the previous expansions allowed you to do base building on planets to stop your base being destroyed in the reboot of all the planets, they basically packed up your base. And now if you build a base computer, you can just restore your base on a new planet. Um, they have completely completely and fundamentally reshaped the way this game is played um so one of the things a lot of people complained about uh in their early experiences with no man's sky was this idea of it being an inventory management sim a lot of the time you only get certain amount of inventory slots at a ship or in your exosuit or on your gun and you have to kind of like make some really tough decisions as to what you want to do with that and the smallest things that you think should be automatic do take up an inventory slot. Like if you want to build a a module in your suit that protects you from a harsh nuclear environment, a harsh toxic environment or a harsh winter environment or a harsh heat environment, all of those individually take up one each one inventory slot each. And if you want to upgrade it so you can last longer, that's an additional inventory slot. They don't stack. Um, so one of the things they did was make the the whole inventory system much more streamlined. All that stuff is now packed into your life support module, which just takes up one slot and is automatically there. And you kind of, through uh, accomplishing missions and things like that in the game, you will buy the blueprints for the upgrades that will be built into your suit. And it looks like they won't take up any additional inventory slots, which is great. That really kind of takes a lot of the annoyance uh, the, the typical annoyance you get in these survival games completely out of the running um they've rebooted the economy from what i can tell it's made freighters which were another substantial content update last year it's made freighters much more affordable so i have now bought a a freighter from which i can command mining expeditions which makes it way less grindy they have completely changed how this game looks visually. The amount of biomes and um, just uh, all the different visual elements of the game have been completely redone. I posted a picture to Twitter.com yesterday evening about a new feature that you can not only that you can go into third person view. And it's really cool to watch the, the, the kind of jet stream at the back of your ship. Uh, kind of lighting up as you're flying around in space but also one of the things they added were like planetary rings like on the planet Saturn Um, you now have planetary rings of dust and asteroid fields uh, around some planets but not all Um, it makes uh, even galaxies that you arrive in that only have two planets or maybe three planets it makes them feel much more diverse um it's added a lot of things for immersion like it's added some basic elements to the game that makes it feel like uh, there was a lot of elements in the game like carbon and iron and things like that that were doing jobs that kind of break the suspension of disbelief he's like well carbon isn't that isn't going to be used for this 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 and this so now there's like okay your your jet fuel is one element this is another element so it's made that a bit more realistic um it has streamlined the menus and the um, the mission system. The entire space station, which is kind of like your galactic hub, whenever you get into a new system, it's where um, you'll do your trading. It's where you could op- make an offer on somebody else's ship. It's where you will um, get missions. All that, all that good stuff. Completely 
both in a visual sense and in a practical sense, rebuilt from the ground up. This is, Mark, an entirely different game in so many ways. Um, and you now you can customize your character, the, like what species your character is, what color their suit is, all sorts of different things like that that make not only the multiplayer experience, but even the single player experience that bit more unique. Um it rewarded players, players who might be pissed off that like, oh, I grinded for ages to get all these upgrades and now the upgrades are all packed in. So the, the stuff I worked on is obsolete. Uh, no Man's Sky, the, the Hello Games, they went and they left uh, where there was obsolete technology. They left these technology modules in their place that are kind of uh, a kind of we're really sorry that uh, we've changed the system. But these technology modules are worth a fucking ass ton of cash. Uh, that you can use then to buy some cool stuff in the game. Haven't really explored uh, too much more than that now at the moment. There's like, it's gotten to the point now where this is the game a lot of people thought they were getting from the start, both in terms of there's a lot of unique things to do that don't feel grindy, don't feel repetitive, uh, and you can play with your friends. It's a party of four. You can play up till uh, I think myself and Brian are going to try have a go at it tonight or maybe tomorrow night uh, and see what it looks like. Uh, the only things I will say, and as you know, Mark, with any sort of significant content update, there's going to be like a few bugs to be ironed out and a stability patch that will probably come in a week or two or something like that. Um, there's a couple of frame rate hitches when you're playing the game in um, on its maximum resolution. I haven't seen huge widespread complaints about when you boot it down to just uh, standard 1080p, but I'm playing on a PS4 Pro and mine is set to 4K, so there is some a little bit of hitching, so I've tried to lock the frame rate on it. Uh, and then there's also when I hit my my pulse engine, I'm traveling fast through space, there's sometimes a really loud buzz through the speaker on my television. Um, but other than that, I haven't noticed too much problematic with it it's all stuff that I, I think could be probably relatively easy to iron out that was a lot to take in there um <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I, and, I, that, and that still didn't take me as long as it would have taken to read out all the patch notes yeah i've been keeping a little, little bit of an eye i've seen some stuff some people playing um oh and it's out on xbox one now as well oh yes there is that as well um and yeah, it's it's interesting. You go into any comments thread uh, with when anything about No Man's Sky is released, and we'll be talking about this in the news. Uh, and there are just people that just ha will will not let go about the information that they feel that they were misinformed about. Um, and you can kind of go either way you want about what information was given beforehand. But there are just some people that will not let that game and Sean Murray go and just holding him accountable and just have written the game off and yeah. um, you know, I, obviously I go on, yeah. obviously what this game is compared to what it was at the time is, is significantly different in a lot of ways um, but you, you cannot you cannot like with a straight face look at what that team have done in the last two years to try and rectify a bunch of issues that you know some of them were on their end but some of them were just like the monster that was created by this hype that was was created um and you know they're just 
whatever they do, there are just some people that are just not going to be satisfied at all. Um, and that's an unhealthy way to be, but you know, I'm not going to lose sleep over those people. Mm. Uh, I did appreciate Sean Murray today. So they've gotten so many better reviews now since the, this content update has come in that their rating on Steam has been upgraded to mixed. And Sean Murray sent out like a celebratory tweet. It's like, oh, we're mixed, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Which I very much enjoyed. Uh, so fair play to them, like I said last week, for, you know... That, that other stuff is in the past now let's give them the benefit of the doubt and they they haven't left their their player base hanging they've really tried to make this game into into something that people really want and in from the sounds of i was listening to a waypoint radio um where patrick klepek and austin walker were talking about they had a sit-down interview with sean murray and not only have they tried to add in the stuff that they really wanted to be in the 1.0, but they've taken stuff that they weren't planning to put in the game, but just that the community wanted and put it in for them because they want to kind of do like a mea culpa and a thank you for sticking with us sort of thing. So fair play to them on that count that at least they, they learn from the mistakes. And he is in the interviews he's been doing um, around this update. And we'll talk about it in the news as well. Uh the, I, it, I think it's safe to say they've learned from the mistakes they made um, and, and hopefully this game goes on to bigger and better things uh, because they have said this isn't the end of updates for this game. So yeah, that being said, let's move in to the news. News on the mark! Dave, I'm going to... I'm gonna. Huh. I'm gonna start just, off with the news. Just right in there. Just right in there. Here because... I was. I was in the middle of the inhale, <laughs> reading the story out. Because but we, you put this top of the agenda. We have new. Con- no, no. I have even newer, hotter content than what's at the top of the agenda. Uh, Is this about friend of the show Ian never having seen Mario Party Party? No, it's, it's I, that doesn't deserve to be mentioned. It's not. Uh, Nintendo have announced all the features of the online Nintendo Switch online. Uh, oh God! Service, so it's launching in September 2018. Uh huh. Um, I'll start off with the the price plan. Um, for a 12 months. It will be mm-hmm. $19.99. Okay, um, that is the, the best value on the market. Yep. Well, I mean, cons- considering yeah. the the kind of games that are available for kind of... I, you know, I, I know the other shoe is about to drop on this. Yeah. Um, now, I don't know, obviously, what that means in terms of uh, conversion rate. Will that be 19 euros, 99 cents, or 24 euros? You know, we'll, we'll figure that out. There's a family membership, which means a Nintendo account holder may invite up to seven others to join the family group. All members of the group will have access to Nintendo Switch Online, which is $34.99 for 12 months. Um, and there's also a one-month and three-month feature, with one month being $3.99 and three months being $7.99. Uh, the features available, uh, there'll be online play, and it gives you all the games that are available for online play at this time, being Splatoon 2, ARMS, Mario Kart 8, Mario Tennis Aces, uh, Sushi Striker, The Way of Sushido. So that's all that's available for online play at this time, but you know, yeah. we'll get more. Uh, there'll be a save data cloud backup. Uh, so you can save that, your data online that, for easy access. That is kind of worth the 20 quid alone. Yep. Uh, details about this feature will be available before the paid service launches in September. Um, you There's the Nintendo Switch online app, um, which, which is trash. Which is trash. 
there is a thing that's just simply called special offers. Uh, it says stay tuned for news on special deals and offer for members. Um, then there is the uh, Nintendo Entertainment System, Nintendo Switch Online. Enjoy 20, game, 20 NES games with added online play for the first time ever and more games added regularly. And I'm clicking on learn more and there is a picture of, I think that's Balloon Fight. Um, yeah, so that's what everybody was crying out for. Fucking yeah. balloon vice. So the game will, will launch with twenty games. Uh, launch titles include soccer, balloon flight, tennis, ice climber, Donkey Kong, Doctor Mario, Mario Bros, Legend of Zelda, Super Mario Bros, and Super Mario Bros Three. Um, so yeah, it's it's pretty much what we expected, other than the yeah. the cloud data being like an additional feature, which is actually pretty useful. Um, and yeah, twenty dollars is obviously it's the best on the market, but I don't even think, Ninto- I don't think yeah. Nintendo could justify charging you know forty, fifty quid a year mm-hmm. for what is kind of a limited service. I'm, su- I'm surprised I still didn't try, but uh, yeah. yeah. So that's your Nintendo online service. Uh, moving into the the news we had down here and the, right. the story I thought you were going to jump in on, <laughs> um, Mark, are you GDPR compliant? <laughs> yeah, so this one grabbed me uh, a because it was uh, it dropped today by Eurogamer, and also it's very it's been a very relevant uh, thing that I have had to uh, kind of deal with over the last couple of months, getting ready for basically being GDPR compliant. Uh, basically, a FIFA player uh, used GDPR to find out everything EA had on him. And he realized that over the course of two years, he'd spent $10,000 on the uh, FIFA Ultimate Team. So first of all, obviously, $10,000 over the span of two years is utterly insane. Um, now, this guy himself says that, you know, he has a lot of um, in- disposable income. So he's not too concerned about that. Um, but that's still, you know, an alarming amount of money. Uh, basically, uh, a guy called Michael, 32 from the UK, um, he made a request to EA on the 25th of May, uh, the day that GDPR came into effect in Europe, uh, and he was motivi- motivated by the belief uh, of this thing called momentum in the FIFA games, uh, as well as the ongoing controversy surrounding loot boxes. Uh, basically, he asked he asked just for you know everything that he'd spent on these uh, packs. You know, as far back as records began, I guess. Uh, it took about a month, but basically EA just dropped two PDF files for him, uh, which just had everything that he had spent money on and, and the dates of when they'd been uh, purchased as well. Um, the two PDF files are over 100 pages long. Um, it's just it's insane, the amount of, of data in there. Um mm. Includes engagement data, uh, FIFA 18 stats, device information, and more than 10 audio files, uh, which are actually uh, recordings of his calls to EA support. Um, ah. Because I can confirm that uh, EA do offer uh, phone call support, which is not something that I personally have to deal with, thank God. Um, one of the things that he did point out that I need to quickly try and find now. Uh, where was it? Um... Where is it? Where is it? Where is it? Okay. 
So what surprised me was EA could tell me every player I bought and sold, but they could not tell me what players I packed when purchasing loot boxes. Uh, the data did not even tell me what pack I had purchased, just the amount of FIFA points the pack cost. Um, now, from what I can see in this, so EA's decision to not supply information relating to packed players or which packs were purchased may have to do with protecting trade secrets and anti-cheat methods. Um, and so he wasn't happy about this uh, and uh, criticized the company's decision to leave the pack information out. But to be quite honest, like, I don't think that they are, you know, GDPR is, is, a, is a minefield of uh, a thing to deal with, as I found out firsthand. But I don't think that directly, or even like half the fucking stuff that they've given him is exactly um, relevant to what GDPR is. Like the audio calls, for example, that would not be compliant under GDPR. Is it? Is it just a case of that... He he requested all this stuff, and just that stuff is packed into whatever data file they keep. Could be, possibly, it could and be. And they just weren't they weren't arsed redacting the stuff that they didn't have to give them. Yeah, well, the thing I find fascinating is um, now since GDPR has come into effect, um, I've had to handle a significant amount of um, players coming to me and saying, "Hey, I want to know like the information that you have on me." And I can tell you that it's been one more than one person. So... <laughs> Has it been two people? Yeah. <laughs> so I find it really interesting that EA... A, that it took over a month for them to, to give all this information. Um, mm. I don't know whether that's a case of, you know, just that's the delay because they're swamped with requests. Or just this is the one person who's like, I want everything you have on me. Um, I can't really decide what the what it is and you know maybe we'll find the fallout over the next couple of weeks or so if anyone else made a request whether this will then stir other people to make similar requests but you know half the time players so, so ea may be hiring a gdpr office possibly possibly <laughs> but like for us personally you know um you know players will come to us and they'll be like hey i want you to um like I want to know every purchase that I've made in game. Sure, we can do that. And then they might be like, okay, I want you to delete any record of me making these purchases. And it's like, well, no, that's not how GDPR works. Um, that's all relevant information. That's not something that we share on, whatever. And, you know, we keep that for legitimate reasons. Um, and so it's, you know, cases of, of players just not quite understanding what GDPR is. Mm. So... Um, you know, and everything he asked for, the stuff that he clearly wanted, he just wanted to know, like, what have I spent my money on? Which is a completely reasonable thing to, to request. And, yeah, yeah, that you know, EA have gone fucking above and beyond to uh, to share that information. Um, yeah, well, I guess we'll see kind of who else, if more people go to uh, EA or other publishers and, and ask for that information. Uh, but, yeah, $10,000 in, in two years... Uh, for not even the main content of a game is just it kind of tells you everything you need to know about uh, where EA in this case but other companies are, are seeing where the bread and butter is mm. do you have any comments about this all oh, right like again like you said GDPR is is such a mess of a thing like I'm glad that the the service exists for somebody who is 
maybe curious in a, in a data sense of things or more kind of like I need to keep tabs on my expenditure that you, you can request and receive your, your entire purchase history uh, on a game. That is that is pretty cool. Um, but no, any I, of the others... I, I'm pretty sure something like that, if you really wanted to know, I'm pretty sure you could have found that information before the whole thing about GDPR. Yeah, you see, I think it's probably easier just now to be able to throw an email at the EA rather than try and go down to your bank and get the last five years of statements sure, yeah. to look for every single transaction marked EA on it. You're getting other people to do the work for you. So in this day and age, that's a nice convenient way of sorting that out, uh, especially for people who don't like. I would be someone who would be kind of keeping a militant look at my incomings and outgoings on my banking app. Um, but other people would kind of just like, oh, where the fuck did the money go, you know? Um, so it's cool that exists. Um, to what extent this could be kind of like, this could inundate developers with with similar requests, I don't know. Um, that's a, a kind of a, a logistics issue that may have to be dealt with for the likes of EA, because a company that size has got a fuckload of data so if people start wanting it and they're entitled to it they're they're gonna have some fun times yeah it's gonna be mad when players like hey i want you know every phone call i've had with you uh, and there's no yeah. fucking reason to to need that because like stuff like that the reason obviously um phone calls and uh, are kept when you work in a call center is obviously for training purposes um you know i had this when i was working in the call center uh, you know, they keep phone calls uh, like backed up for God knows, like two, three years, um, and for the most part, it is literally just for for uh, training purposes. Um, mm. And uh, maybe there's there's other reasonings behind it as well. But yeah, a very very curious, uh, very good, uh, really good article uh, in Eurogamer this week. Go check it out. Moving on, um, in a kind of like a bit of mixed news here. Um, the Silent Hill HD Collection and Silent Hill Homecoming are now officially available, backwards compatible on Xbox One. Um, <clears throat> this is pretty cool in in one sense of the word, as I was saying to you off the air, Mark. Uh, Silent Hill 2 and 3 are two of the greatest horror games of all time, and Silent Hill 2 may well be my favourite game I have ever played. Uh, my only qualm with this is that the, <clears throat> the HD Collection version of Silent Hill 2 is a little bit pants. Uh, because when they tidy that game up and uh, made it for HD for the last generation, uh, they removed a lot of the fog effect from that game. And the the oppressive, smoggy atmosphere and the lack of being able to see anything more than a couple of feet either side of you is what created a lot of the atmosphere in that game, which is now unfortunately gone uh, when you're walking out on the street. It is the uh, problem. Like, when you have a feature in a game which is half there just because that's what you did in the 90s to limit performance issues, yeah, what yeah, do you do the, when the, that's the, not an the issue draw anymore? Distance, the draw distance wasn't actually much better than that at the time. Yeah. So it was a very clever way of getting around that. Um, so it's not the ideal way. The ideal way is still get your PS2 out source a copy of uh, Silent Hill 2 and play it that way but you know rather play it that way than not at all and Silent Hill 3 is I think maybe the most underrated game in that series um, Homecoming is a big pile of shit though so uh, if you want not as bad as uh, Downpour but it's uh, it, it, it's it's pretty not good I mean they all start to merge um, into one after 4 
Yeah, that is that is very, very true. Uh, while we're talking about Konami now, uh, Metal Gear Solid got a surprise update during the week, and now you can play as Quiet. Um, the the kind of the controversial character, you might say, when that game came out. I quite honestly, her, I thought you already her could state play. of dress or undress. I thought you already could play as Quiet. No, you could have her as your kind of like your ally in battle. She'd follow you around and like stake out places and snipe off people. Oh, so it was between uh, her and the dog. Yeah, it was her, the dog. There was, uh, oh, there was like a bipedal uh, robot. Um, God, I think there was there another one. There was them anyway. Oh, the horse. Of course, D horse. Um, but yeah, you can play as quiet to infiltrate uh, forward operating bases on the game. I haven't played that game in a long time because much as I really enjoy the story of that game, the they broke the the, uh, the other mode, didn't they? Well, they broke the mo- like the main game in a lot of ways because the stuff they added with the forward operating bases, um, where they were just constantly getting attacked, really like just fucking drained a lot of the fun out of the game. Um, I do think as well, for all but the the hardest of hardcore Metal Gear fans, there's like a a chapter two to that game. So after you beat the game, there's like um, a kind of a second half to it story-wise. But all the missions in it are subsistence missions uh, or, or similar. And those are the ones where you get dropped on site. It's a very, very hard mission. And you're not allowed to bring anything with you. Uh, you have to pick up everything on site. Um, it's it's really really tough. So I think I'm I'm of the opinion at this point is like I had a great time with that game. I don't want to go back and ruin it. Fair, which I don't think is unreasonable. Uh, but still, a very surprising. Would you say in any way necessary feature? Uh, no, I I think it's just a thing that like because I can't imagine how she handles all that differently. Like maybe some different execution animations and things like that and. I guess, I, like, for the, like, people who really love Quiet, they have an excuse to pick back up the game now, I, I guess, but I don't see it as being a real consequential, like, unless they start dropping specific missions that you can play as Quiet, but I really don't see that happening. Um, it's just a little kind of like, hey, this game is still here sort of update. Um, Mark, I saw this next story and thought, my God, I didn't know Mark got a job at Valve. <laughs> Uh, Valve has issued 95,000 bans in just seven days. Um, this is all down to uh, anti-cheating measures, isn't it? Yeah, so um, back in July 2017, uh, Eurogamer reported that on the 6th of July of that year, uh, Valve had banned over 40,000 Steam accounts for cheating, making it the single largest ban hammer the company had ever de- deployed. Uh, according to Steam DB, on Wednesday the 18th of July 2018, uh, Valve handed out a stunning 61,439 uh, VAC Valve anti-cheating bans and 27,403 game bans, making it the platform's most hefty ban spree yet. Uh, and given Steam DB can't check every single Steam profile every day, that is supposedly a conservative estimate. Uh, which means at the time of writing, about 92,000 accounts have been banned in just the last seven days, uh, taking down thousands of dollars worth of CSGO skins, too. Um, mm. So why now? 
Uh, Valve hasn't elaborated, but it's likely that VAC has uncovered a new cheat method or methods across one or more of the games it monitors, such as Ark Survival Evolved, Left 4 Dead, Left 4 Dead 2, the Call of Duty games, the Counter-Strike games, Dota 2, and Team Fortress 2. Now, really, in the grand scheme of things, um, with the amount of people that have uh, Steam, uh, 95,000 bands probably is like a, 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 f a fraction of like the actual uh, gamer base. But you see that number and you think, Jesus Christ, there's so many people. And it probably isn't. It's probably like not even a percent of, of the actual install base for Valve. Um, but it's always good to see that kind of proactivity that uh, developers, publishers, uh, console platform holders of, of any description uh, are taking kind of necessary steps half the time it is just kind of a PR thing just to say hey look you know you keep saying that we're not banning people here here's a bunch of people that we've had in the woodworks for six months that we needed to ban we'll go and do it now um, but still it, it is proactive and um, yeah good because fuck cheaters damn right fuck cheaters and fuck the haters as well while we're at it um, we talked about No Man's Sky earlier on in the show and uh, Sean Murray did an interview this week in which he promised one of the things that I think like whatever about the, the miscommunication and things like that I think the the real thing I didn't like about how they handled the, the backlash against No Man's Sky when it originally came out was how Sean and Hello Games as a whole went pretty much completely radio silent um, and had very little uh, communication with the community he has vowed as as part of their kind of like uh restructuring and this new update that that is not going to be the case that in future there is going to be uh, much more interactivity between developer and community uh, he's calling the next phase of no man's sky the community season they as part of it they've launched a new website the, the galactic map um uh, which kind of uh, it says here is dedicated to the community and will feature points of interest in the No Man's Sky Euclid Galaxy. Uh, the places featured were decided by a community survey launched last month, but incidentally is still open for a few more hours. Uh, this was as of yesterday, uh, so it's closed now. Um, but yeah, that like that's kind of we talked about how they've now restructured the game so that it's more in-depth there's more content uh, one of the things i did mention is that there's going to be weekly challenge missions included in the game as well to keep you coming back uh so they seem to have got a better handle on the actual gameplay and now it's a matter of rebuilding trust uh in your community uh which is very very important yeah uh, as kind of we we said earlier um like the steps they've been taking uh, are, are insane um, and almost kind of like just it's almost unnecessary uh, yeah. what they've been doing but they, they've clearly decided that um, just for the last two years just just to try and win like I don't know where it was Sean Murray was like that, that one person on that comments thread who's like I'm never ever going to play No Man's Sky again I just wonder who's like Sean's like yeah I'll get him back it will take yeah. two years but I'll get him back yeah, he's playing the long game, is Sean Murray. It's a very long game. You know, game respect game. Yeah. Um, this next thing was a bit disappointing. It's always disappointing when um, people are laid off in the games industry. Uh, but this one is particularly galling, considering last week I came on with effusive praise for Onrush, which I still stand by. I'm still really enjoying that game. 
I think it's an awesome atypical racer. Um, they talked about it on the Bombcast this week, saying that like it's such a shame that this happens. Uh, a racer comes out that actually is trying something different in a genre that seems so stale and so clogged with old ideas and really bad attempts at new ideas sometimes that this game comes in and it feels like a breath of fresh air it's hella good been out for a month and it's clearly not doing that great financially because there's been a bunch of layoffs including the director of the game uh, Paul Rushy Roshinsky uh, the face of both Onrush and its predecessor Drive Club um He's among those let go. Multiple sources close to the studio have confirmed to Eurogamer alongside other senior members of the team. Uh, people I've spoken to who wish to remain anonymous for the sake of their career describe the studio as having been decapitated by these redundancies, with senior staff and lead creatives fired or required to re-interview for positions, although some junior staff are also affected. Um, yeah, not great. Yeah, um, looking at this, like... Uh... Onrush sold just over a thousand physical copies during its launch week in the UK, uh, which, you know, that that's that never bodes well. Um, yeah, I, I think, and a friend of the show, Barry Murphy, was talking about this. I think the main problem with it coming out, because there's nothing wrong with the game, the game is awesome. I think the problem was the price point. This is priced as a full $70 game. And people are only starting to come to it now because it's currently on double discount for PS Plus users at about 30 quid. And I honestly think 30 to 40 quid is a real good sweet spot for what that game is. Um, as much as I love it, I wouldn't pay $70 for it. I, I think more and more, uh, and you know, this is a, a conversation that we could have another time about where the industry is going and what the the right price point to release your game at is uh yeah. you know kind of heavily dependent on the, what what publisher you are and what the kind of perspective of you uh, in the, the marketplace is you know you're always going to see uh, a fifa being released at 60 70 quid but yeah. for anything for an for an unknown a relatively you know unknown developer title um and for doing something a little bit weirder out there, it, you know, you have to have a, a f you know, you need to have a No Man's Sky type campaign behind you to kind of big this up as a big deal. Uh, otherwise, you just you're gonna get lost in the effort. And yeah, it's probably gonna be one of those kind of games that gets that kind of cult classic uh, feel to it uh, long after the the game is already kind of tanked. Um, so that's that's a, that's a shame, but you know, it's. Sometimes it doesn't matter how good a game is if it's not released under the right conditions. Uh, that that can be all it takes uh, to to just be a complete disaster. Indeed. Uh, moving on from here, and we were already talking before about Sonic Mania as well. Uh, Sonic Mania Plus has now officially become the highest-rated Sonic game in twenty-five years. <laughs> So, you know, the last time a real Sonic game came out. Indeed. Uh, you could say that Sonic Mania Plus has been received rather well. Critics have been praising the game left, right and centre. And fans have been sharing the game with love on social media platforms, reminiscing over the nostalgic 2D hedgehog gameplay that made them fall in love with the series in the first place. As it turns out, you'd be right to say that too, as the game has now become the highest rated Sonic game in 25 years. Just some of the scores that uh, the Sonic the Hedgehog account tweeted out. 9 out of 10 from GameSpot, 9 out of 10 GameSpace. 
CG Magazine 10 out of 10, Twinfinite 4 out of 5, Nintendo Life 9 out of 10, Dual Shockers 9.5 out of 10, EGM 9.5 out of 10, and Attack of the Fanboy 4.5 out of 5. Um, so, so you're telling yeah. me that Sonic Mania Plus is better than Sonic Adventure, uh, Sonic R, Shadow the Hedgehog. Shadow. <laughs> oh man, I always forget that that's a thing. <laughs> uh, Rise of Lyric. Remember he had he had guns. He did Actual have guns. guns. He had Edge. You know, yeah, damn right. Was, Joe Daddy's Hedgehog. That was Sonic the Hedgehog gone new metal. Yeah, damn right it was. Yeah. Um, we have an official release date for Stardew Valley's multiplayer update. Um, it is only on the PC version, which is a little bit depressing because I've, I've I'm much more progressed in my Switch version, and I'd love to play the multiplayer on Switch with you. Um, but we are going to get it on PC from the first of August, and I think this comes in tandem with he was working on a big content update as well. Um, that kind of the details of which have remained a mystery. Um, but yeah, it's going to come to the Nintendo Switch, PlayStation 4, and Xbox One at a later date, uh, and not to the Vita. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Stardew Multiplayer, when it arrives on Nintendo Switch, or do you have it on Nintendo Switch? I've got it on Switch. Have I got Stardew Valley on Switch? Yeah, I know, right. Uh, when it arrives on Switch, will you be tempted to dip your toe back in? Uh, well, so... <laughs> so now I did say that I would be taking my Switch to Canada because I want to pick up Iconoclasts and or Picross 2 I'm not too sure I can bring it now if the Stardew Valley uh, update is released because uh, you know, Dory, it won't it, it won't be on Switch yet oh sure then, yeah, yeah, it's at yeah. a later okay. date so, so you're yeah. good yeah sure yeah of course I'll be picking it up then jeez come on um, speaking of which, you just alluded to a couple of games. Iconoclasts uh, and Picross 2 are coming to Switch August 2nd. Uh, Picross S2 is one I am very much looking forward to. Love that first one and got you hooked on it I then mean, really, as well. It can't be anything more than just more Picross, which, in fairness, I have no objections to. Yeah, absolutely good. And you're an Iconoclasts fan, aren't you? I, well, I don't know. I've never played it before, but I Oh, saw... but you, I said you appreciate it from afar. Oh, I appreciate it from up close. It it looks it looks like a Mark Robinson game. Speaking of which, Guacamelee oh, 2. Oh, 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 oh boy. I'll tell you, what, I've had a filled day today with Twitter announcements. Twenty <laughs> first of August. PlayStation 4 and PC. Are we very happy about this? Mm-hmm. Uh what did what did you think of the new trailer? Uh, you know what? I've actually not watched the trailer yet. I, I need to go oh. and do that. I am sure it is an explosion of uh, color and Mexican culture and all... <laughs> color and lucha. Uh, color and lucha, yeah, is probably a better way of putting it. Um, and what more do you need in life? Yeah, um, exactly. Uh, you know what? Uh, if it's anything like, uh, if it's like sixty percent of the original, uh, game of the year is going to be very, very tough for me. Indeed, uh, it will be priced at nineteen ninety nine dollars or about seventeen pounds when it arrives. So circle that one in the calendars, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, I'll uh, take, I'll, fin- so I'll take this last one because I, I posted it up. Um, yeah, do. So I don't know if you've seen this game at all. Um, I don't believe I have. Yeah, I, I saw this kind of just from afar, and I was like, "Oh, this looks interesting." Uh, brutal yet vibrant FPS Polygod hits Switch and Xbox next month. Uh, so this is a game that's been on early access for a while. 
um, and it's uh, it uses procedural generation and has kind of a Quake-esque vibe to how it feels in the shooting, which is kind of what got me uh, curious. Um, it's very kind of uh, low poly in its design, um, but it's very bright, very kind of clean looking. Look, It's the kind of game that looks perfect on the Switch, basically. Uh, the Switch version does actually lack PvP multiplayer, but I, I'm sure at some point down the line that, that might be a feature that they'll try and add. Uh, but it does have gyroscopic controls, though I've never really been overly fond of them. But I'd, I'd recommend you to have a look at the trailer because I know you're, you know, obviously a fan of the the id software games and and mm-hmm. and uh, you know I love Quake. I've made it quite clear. So yeah, that that looks pretty interesting. That looks like something I'd I'd, I'd pick up on the Switch. Yeah, absolutely. That's going to do it for the news this week. Uh, time now to go to the Link to Cast Book Club. The, the key features of the program every week where we talk about an important game from the past that you should pick up for the first time if you haven't before or you should play again if it's been a while. This week, get ready to have your mind grapes played with. We're talking about the Stanley Parable. Stanley Parable is an interactive storytelling video game designed by Davy Reardon. The game was originally released on July 27, 2011 as a free mod for Half-Life 2. A high-definition standalone remake including new story elements was again designed by Davy Reardon together with Source Engine modeler William Pugh under the Galactic Cafe studio name. The remake was announced and approved via Steam Greenlight in 2012, released on October 2013 for Windows. Uh, eventually OS X and Linux as well. Um, the game is presented to the player from the first person perspective. The player can move around and interact with certain elements of the environment, such as pressing buttons or opening doors, but the game has no other controls. The story is primarily presented to the player via the voiceover of the game's narrator, who explains that the protagonist, Stanley, works in the office building, tasked to do data coming in on a computer screen and press buttons appropriately without question. One day that screen goes blank. Stanley, unsure what to do, starts to explore the building and finds it devoid of people. The Stanley Parable, Mark, is one of the the classic um, examples of <laughs> the genre, I think, as a whole, because it's not a walking sim in the way that we think of walking sims. But what it is, is it's one of those, it's a game that's not a game, games, that, that people, you know... They find it very hard to put into a singular box or genre what this game is. Uh, but certainly what it is, is original and bizarre and, and funny and, and entertaining and, and thought-provoking and, and referential. There are so many words I could use to describe this game. When was the first time you heard of the Stanley Parable or played it? Uh, I think the first time I remember he- now 
spoiler alert, my actual game time with Stanley Parable is actually very limited. Um, I know a lot about it from other people uh, have told mm-hmm. me a lot about this game, and I've I've read and, and done my research. Um, I want to say it was friend of the show Chaz Ali. I think was the one that first told me about this game. It was either him or it was another friend of mine from university, uh, a guy called Russ Morris, and they spoke about this game that was, uh, you know, very fourth wall breaking. Um, very a clever, a very well and clever written game, but never went so far into the side of pretension, which is an issue you can get sometimes when something is that clever, where it just it knows it's that clever. It it doesn't go that way, um, and it's just very biting in its satire. It's a very British game in terms of its humor and its and its writing. Do you know it's very the voice over um the the kind of dry humor in it to me is very Terry Pratchett or Douglas Adams. I yeah, a one hundred percent without question. Um, you you do get that vibe, and I'd be stunned if um that his name has has never been brought up at any point in regards to this game. Yeah. Um. So it's one of those ones where like and I was I was kind of like I played it a little this week on on Steam. I I had bought it years. I think it's one of the first games I ever bought on Steam. You know, I'm not a big PC game player, but games like this and the the kind of spiritual follow up by Davey Reed and the Beginner's Guide is a game I raved about a couple of years ago on this show. Um, So I, I picked this up and I was reading a bunch of articles written about it at the time. And this was a fascinating um i'd love to see your uh your fave what's his name the game makers toolkit guy oh mark brown yeah i'd love to see him uh if he has done or if he will in the future do one on the stanley parable because i think the construction of this game is utterly fascinating um you want to talk about a game that has built fail safes upon fail safes upon fail safes for what you may or may not do in a situation it's, it's really really fascinating um I, kind of like on its most uh, existential uh, level, it, it's kind of a game that explores the idea of uh, free will and um, developer intent. Uh, what a developer wants you to do in a game and the ways in which, and we all know people like this, and we've all done it from time to time, the ways in which a player will try to break a game and to what extent they will follow exactly what they're supposed to do in the order they're supposed to, or the ways they will try to avoid doing that at all costs. Um, did you, the, the first time you, you play, like you say you haven't played it too much, but the first time you played this, were you let in on that wrinkle of the game, or did the first time you played through this, did you just do exactly what the narrator was suggesting? Which leads to a fairly bland conclusion, if I recall yeah, so correctly. I, I did sit down with the game knowing that pretty much try it and, for the most part, just do the opposite of what you're told to do. Um, you know, it's the the would-you-kindly syndrome, if you will. Um, mm. And you quickly realise that by doing the exact opposite, you get taken on this mad adventure um and you know it's it's a game there are so few games like this and it's it's more so than the fact that it's a game it's that 
there are, there are so few other mediums. There's barely any other mediums where you have this ability to have someone narrate a story for you, but you have the power to go and do something else, and then the narration kind of follows that. You know, it's there's no other platform other than or medium other than video games where this type of experience can happen. You know? Yeah. It's it's so like so the first time I played it, I did the whole I, I kind of had it to like because it's it, I played this a couple of years after the fact, so it's hard to ha- not have some elements of the game completely spoiled on you. So I, I did know that there was like you should try and test this game and go against the grain, but I did just for the sake of oh what does happen when you go along with it, and it does kind of play out to a kind of um it, it sort of like is. Uh, I don't know if it teaches you a lesson about you really shouldn't just always do what you're told. The game almost kind of mocks you for following instructions to the letter in it. Um, But there are so many, like, we could sit here and spend a couple of hours discussing through all the branching paths. There are six possible uh, endings, but the journey, there are, there are like, so many branching paths that according to this wikipedia here there's an additional uh when it was remade it added an additional um an addition to the six endings it adds 16 more possible endings designed around the aspects of choice available in the game so there's plenty of in the full version of this game there are plenty of different ways you can go and even the journeys to get to those end points branch off in different weird and interesting ways so like i said we could spend a lot of time talking about those uh but i just want to kind of hit upon a couple of really fun ideas uh that are in here and you can see a lot of them on youtube if you don't want to play this game but i'm pretty sure like i'd say it's relatively cheap now on steam and it doesn't require a lot of graphical uh prowess to play this on your laptop or your pc so i I would go out with a way to play this i definitely recommend it um so like (laughs) very early on there's a point at which the narrator is just having a chat with you and um you're on this if you've gone a certain way there's this platform that's kind of lifting up and if at any point during the narrator's speech you jump off that platform onto there's like a uh, a metal gangway going over this room if you jump off onto that gangway he immediately stops mid like no matter what point in the sentence it is he immediately stops and very seamlessly segues into basically what the fuck are you doing like i'm just trying to what are you doing? (laughs) Like, I'm just trying to tell you where to go. I'm trying to help you here. The kind of, the adversarial relationship that develops between you and the narrator if you just stop following his orders is terrific. There's uh, an extended set that I'm sure you got to. I think most of the, most people will go through, you know, the segment with the red and the blue door? Yes, obviously, yeah. Yeah, so if you keep, if you go through, he's like, he, Stanley went through the red door, and there's a red and blue door in front of you. And if you go through the blue door instead, it just, like, clicks, and you're back in the room, and the door's in front of you again. And with a little tinge of impatience about him, the narrator says, Stanley went through the red door. (laughs) So you keep going through the blue door, and eventually he goes, right. So you get dropped back in, the red door is there, and where the blue door is, there's now a giant neon arrow pointed at the red door, and there's no blue door beside it. I Right. But if you turn around, the blue door is now behind you, and you go through it, 
and um he goes okay smart guy basically you don't want to do what i'm telling you to do i'm just trying to look out for your opinions this is what's here so you walk through a door and you're out onto a gangway and you basically walk in behind the quote-unquote set of the game and he's like this is all that's back here completely unfinished textures developer sketches are you happy oh yeah you don't want to play this game well let's see maybe there's some sort of standard game you will play um and there's a point in this game where um he he just reboots and all of a sudden you're playing minecraft and he's like yeah is this the more i should just stop creating games with any sort of ingenuity at all and then he goes off on a rant about how this kind of game i don't understand how this kind of game is popular there's too much to do it doesn't tell you what to do how can anybody enjoy this sort of thing um and he starts building a house and kind of grumbling away to himself and then he goes oh no i know what type of game you like reboots it again all of a sudden you're playing fucking portal and it's just like yeah simple puzzle is that the kind of stuff you like getting to do stuff hands off blah 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 uh just completely like ranting and raving at you um and then there at one point in this process there's a thing where he's trying to see like will you follow any instructions at all so he puts you in a room where there's just one button there's a giant cardboard cut out of a baby and then at the other end of the room there are just giant flames everywhere and he goes this is a very simple game even you should be able to follow the instructions where if you press the button once the baby won't go into the fire and if you leave it you uh the baby will go into the fire so if you leave it the baby goes into the fire the cardboard burns and there's like there's a pause and he says the effect of you absolute bastard. <laughs> there, there's that. There's like a, an entire path you can go down where he's like, okay, we're trying to find the story in this game. Um, maybe you should go into the boardroom. So you go and try and find the boardroom. And he's like, I could swear the story was in here. And he goes, maybe we'll just restart the game. So restarts the game. You start back where you were originally. And he goes, ah, I have added the Stanley Parable Adventure Line, which is literally this yellow line along the floor that says the Stanley Parable Adventure Line. He's like, you follow this and this is the way to the story. So you walk around for a couple of minutes just following this line and the line gets increasingly erratic, starts going up the walls, starts twisting around the place. Um, God, and what's the end? Oh yeah, it eventually just leads you into a room well, he goes off. He goes off on one for a while and starts going. I know. Here, I need to work this out in my head. So he starts thinking out loud about the idea of um, following adventure, being told what to do, and things like that. And this like monologue goes on for a couple of minutes. Eventually, he goes. Oh, this is getting really boring. Following this adventure line. Uh, let's play a bit of music. So he starts playing a bit of music, and he goes. Ah, hold on. No. Try try to ignore the line. The line can't ruin our fun. We make our own adventure here. Uh, and then you end up in a room where on the wall is written the exact series. It's called, I think, the Confusion Ending. And it has the exact series of actions you have taken to this point and the exact series of actions you will take after this point to get to this ending. And the narrator starts having a real, like, again, would you kindly moment of like, how can it know what I'm going to do? I don't want to re. What if I don't want to restart the game again? <laughs> As well, it it's like, what else is comes to your mind about the like the, just the bizarre happenings in this game? It's the, the thing about it um, is simply that it just keeps you on edge, you know, mm -hmm. uh, and you can never you can never get ahead of the game. You can never like predict. All right, I know what's going to happen next, and 
the the charm about it is the fact that you can play the game multiple times and you can just go off on all these different branching paths of acquiescing to what the narrator is saying or just kind of going on your own and saying, oh, fuck it, I'm going to try this. And yeah. and that is, you know, that is a big selling point about the game is that, uh, that you can't predict... Um, where to go and you know as you mentioned at the start that if you just kind of follow the narrator what he says you don't really kind of get anything out of it it's just it's like a pretty kind of generic uh walking simulator um and i think one of the things that really kind of brought the game to to light and and this was you know around the i wouldn't say the the, the early portion but certainly still in in the early stages of you know youtubers playing games um for people to to watch and there are a few games i can think of that are perfect for that medium than the stanley parable you know i remember mm. watching pewdiepie playing stanley parable because uh you know regardless of all the the problematic uh issues that um felix has had over the last couple of years you know, when he sits down and plays a game, there is a, a real charm to watching him play something. There's the almost kind of like innocent childlike demeanor, um, mm. and watching him play and, and react to just all the scenarios that you you are faced with. Um, it's, a, it's a very you know, it's like watching Gogglebox basically, but yeah, with with PewDiePie uh, and this wonderfully crafted, very well funny written game. Um, yeah, so I, I, like, I don't know if you ever uh, like saw like YouTubers or any kind of anyone well, playing I, it. I was actually in the in the research for doing this feature. Uh, I did find um, what's his name, Matt from from Game Theory playing this. Okay, and he played it with no context for what the game was. Oh, really? He had he had not had it spoiled on him at all. He had no idea. He was just told it was funny, it was meta, and he should play it, and. Honestly, getting to see his reactions in real time to this shit, like, just reminded me of my own experience where I was just popping like crazy. I was on my own and I was howling with laughter. Just could not believe it. Um, yeah, it's one of those games where it, it's really good to play. It's really fun to play, but it's also a lot of fun watching other people play and react to it. Um, not knowing what's going to happen to them, it's 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 definitely it's really good stuff. Another thing that came up in the in looking up uh, this sort of stuff that really freaked me the fuck out was that um, uh, David Reedon was twenty two when he came up with this. Not bad, eh? Not bad. When when this game came out, he was twenty two years old, which is wild. Um, and his his partner uh, who helped him bring this game out, William Pugh. Uh, I the name kind of sounded familiar, and then I saw a picture of him. Do you know who he is? Um, I'm. I know I know him. But I can't remember where he's from, but I know he his is face. the guy who works on um, is it Squanch Studios? All the Rick and Morty VR stuff. He was on the Game Awards, looking really weird, standing next to Jeff Keighley this year. I don't remember he, that, but I do recognize his face from somewhere. Do you remember it was the trailer for that like Accountancy Plus Plus game? That was like really fucking nuts. Not yeah. the top of my head. He's just he's just an unhinged looking man, I think is the best way to put it. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah. 
I, I don't know if there's really much more to say about this because like I've, I've talked about some of my favorite parts of the game. I don't want to go through absolutely everything because I don't want to spoil every outcome. And I don't think I've even ever encountered every single outcome myself yet. Um, do you have any more final thoughts on this before I, I hit into the, the critical reception and the elevator pitch? No, I think you've um, hit on all, all the major points. Um, it is one of those games, and it's kind of a bit of a cop-out when we're here trying to talk about it, but it is one of those games that you really cannot fully understand and appreciate until you've sat down and actually played it. You know? mm-hmm. And if our persuasion doesn't work, listen to these scores. You're a gamer, 9 out of 10. Game Informer, 8.5 out of 10. GameSpot, 9 out of 10. IGN, 8.8 out of 10. PC Gamer, 90. Polygon, 9 out of 10. Slant, 80. Hardcore Gamer, 4.5 out of 5. Daily Telegraph, 4.5 out of 5. Um, the, the best way to put this for an elevator pitch is that the Stanley Parable uh, pulls off uh, meta humor and explores, in a lot of ways, the life of a developer trying to outthink a player and a player trying to outthink a developer in ways that some games have tried for in the past and I don't think anyone has accomplished with quite the flourish and quite the wry sense of humor as the Stanley Parable. So definitely check it out. Mark, we have one last bit of business here on the podcast as every week. It is your turn to pick a game for when you return because myself and my co- <laughs> yeah, myself and my co-hosts while you were gone uh, will have to figure out something. But uh, for your return, we'll have to queue up something. So not for episode 119 or 120, but for episode 121, what game do you want to pick? Do you know what, right? Because every time I try to pick this game, you go, oh no, I need to go and play it for a bit. So I'm going to give you plenty of time to go back and do what you need to do. And I am picking, and there, there are no ifs or buts about this, I am picking my personal favorite game of all time. I am picking The Legend of Zelda Majora's Mask. Okay, that gives me two weeks to do the other Metal Gear Solid games. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you heard it here first. Uh, not next week or the week after, but the week after that, it's going to be Legend of Zelda Majora's Mask. We're going to get weird. Things are going to get weird. That's going to do it for another episode of Link to the Cast. This podcast is available on SoundCloud, iTunes, and most podcasting platforms. Just search for Link to the Cast. Subscribe, rate, review, tell a friend. It all helps. The website is linktothecast.eu. If you want to get in touch, drop us an email, linktothecast at gmail.com. But if you want a quicker response and at the same time to keep up on the content as we post it, social media, facebook.com forward slash linktothecast, at linktothecast on Twitter. Our individual Twitter accounts, I'm at Dave Ryan Ivy. Mark is that lithium project but if games aren't your only interest we've got plenty more on offer here at the link to the cast podcast network also available in this very feed are the grab up which is the once every few months pro wrestling podcast we do usually myself mark jack uh, and our friend barry murphy uh, the most recent show was wrestlemania but we are i'm in the process of trying to put together uh one that we're going to do in the build-up to SummerSlam. May Young Classic. Um, we've got a big Progress Wembley show, uh, World Tag League for WXW, and a big stadium show for OTT coming up. Uh, which, by the way, Mark, have you seen the Walter Jordan Devlin video package OTT put up today? I have because not. if not, take your pants off, relax, watch it. It's <laughs> one of the greatest things you'll ever see in your goddamn life. Um, the Popcorn Social, 
is our other kind of intermittent podcast here. It's a monthly deep dive into the latest cinema offerings with myself and Jack Lazell. Uh, we also bring to the table one offering of our personal favorite films to talk about in a longer form chat. Uh, we just released one a couple of uh, yesterday. Uh, as we're recording this two days ago as you're listening to it um that you should definitely check out i think it's probably our best show yet uh we talked about the 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 kind of summer blockbuster season uh talking about oceans eight incredibles two uh the double bill of dumbness that was skyscraper and jurassic world fallen kingdom which mark had a great time listening to that particular evisceration um, our deep dives this month were on Goodfellas and on uh, maybe the greatest comedy ever, and that is Black Dynamite. Also, stay tuned towards the end of the program because when I announce what we're going to be covering next show, I think I may have elicited the loudest pop ever recorded on a link to the cast related program from Jack. The the giddy excitement that coursed through his veins uh, at that announcement is is something to behold in audio form. Um, these podcasts plus our weekly Link to the Cast flag- flagship broadcast are all available in the same podcasting feed so one subscription to Link to the Cast on your favourite platform will do the trick and of course if there's any games we've covered in the past that you think hey I'd like to listen to that show the full archives are up on SoundCloud and iTunes and on our website you can just search download and have a good old time um, for this week's Link to the Cast I have been Dave Ryan man on the line there Mark Robinson Mark Enjoy Canada. I'll see you in three three weeks on this program, and I'll see the listeners next week. Bret Hart, woo! Oh, Canada. How I hate this place.